teaching isn't finite. There's just never an end point to it. And I think that's one of the challenges with being a faculty member is you don't have the article that's published at the end to show you've done something worthwhile. You just have this ongoing set of activities that you do to try to get better and better. And sometimes you try something and it's a step backwards. Hi, I'm Kimberly McCorkle, Provost and Senior Vice President for Academics at East Tennessee State University. From the moment I arrived on this campus, I have been inspired by our faculty, their passion for what they do, their belief in the power of higher education, and the way that they are transforming the lives of their students. This podcast is dedicated to them, our incredible faculty at ETSU. Hear their stories as they tell us why I teach. In this episode, we will talk with Dr. Allison Barton from the ETSU Clemmer College. Dr. Barton is an award-winning faculty member at ETSU and recently was appointed director of our Center for Teaching Excellence. Enjoy the show. Dr. Barton, welcome to our podcast. I want to first begin by congratulating you on your new role with the Center for Teaching Excellence. Sounds like you have an exciting fall coming up. Thank you. Yes, I most certainly do. Um, this fall, I've actually put hit the pause button on teaching so that I can get my feet under me as I learn more about the role of the director for the Center for Teaching Excellence and as we put together several new initiatives that we're rolling out from the center this fall. That's great. That sounds like a good plan. I start my podcast out with the same question for every guest. Take me back to your first day of teaching at ETSU as a faculty member, and I think that was back in 2005. Looking back on that day, what is one piece of advice that you would have given yourself? That's hard to answer because there are so many pieces of advice I would give myself knowing how much I know now about teaching versus then. But probably the biggest piece of advice I could give myself at that time would be to look at my course and at my teaching through my students' eyes. Is the teaching engaging? Are the students allowed to be active in the class? Is the professor inviting versus suspicious of students? Um, and you can see that in, I'm sure, syllabi f that I wrote mm. 100 years ago versus now. Are the assignments drafted in a way that feels purposeful to the mission of the class? Mm. Or do they feel like busy work that are included just to feel like the course is rigorous? I just think that's outstanding advice. Think about looking at your course through your students' eyes. That's really very helpful. So you teach courses that are part of the general education curriculum all the way through graduate level. Are most of your students preparing to become educators? I would say probably most of them are, especially for the classes that are educational foundations level classes. We are preparing our educators to go out and become teachers in the K-12 school system. But the general education course that I teach, EDFN 2310, is developmental psychology, and I get a range of students in that class. Mm -hmm. Some of them are uh, going to become educators in that class as well, but I, I see a range of students, including pre-PT a lot, and um, nursing students seem to take the course quite a bit as well. So. I get quite a diversity in that general education class. I imagine that means you have to think about the way you develop and deliver that course. 
Yes, but I have a luxury in that class. Uh, it's about human development, and everybody in that class happens to be a human, so we have a, <laughs> an easy way to apply a lot of what we're learning in there. That's great. So you've spent many years teaching courses in the online format. As I understand it, you're actually a pioneer of online teaching at ETSU, and you've been really successful in this. What advice do you have for faculty who are teaching in online formats in terms of keeping students engaged online and achieving their student learning outcomes? Well, I would precede my answer by saying I don't have all the answers, and if I did, I might be making a lot of money. <laughs> but So um, as with all teaching, it is an iterative process, and I'm continuing to learn about best online delivery methods as I continue to teach in online venues. I would say one of the most important things to do to keep your students engaged is to make sure that what you're including in the online environment keeps your students active. Students won't be learning if they are not cognitively engaged with the material and being asked to do things with that material in some way. Mm. So it's really important that the activities are not nominal and that they're not passive. Can't just have a video and have students watch that video and then take a test on it. We want them to be working with the information that they're receiving in some way. For making sure that learning outcomes are achieved, that's a really tricky question. I think when we're teaching on ground, we have a little more luxury of captive audience there to do little activities that may not feel in the moment like they're related to learning outcomes, but do eventually lead to those learning outcomes. When you're teaching online, it's easy to overwhelm students with the sense that there is too much to do in mm -hmm. that class. So I think we have to be a little more judicious about the activities we choose for students to do and take a look at which ones are gonna be the most value added for meeting those learning outcomes so that they're, whatever you assign is gonna give students and you as an educator the most bang for the buck mm -hmm. on their time that they're investing in that activity. I think it's also important, and this actually is true no matter what modality you're teaching in, but it's really important to tell students how this activity aligns with the learning outcomes. There's really good research that demonstrates that when you're very intentional about sharing that linkage with your students, the students are much more motivated to complete the activity, and in some ways that I think people are still trying to find out, it actually closes achievement gaps between underrepresented students and other students in mm -hmm. your classes. So I think for me, what that reminds me of is that teaching online just requires a different approach and, and intentionality in, in ways that are really important. Yeah, I think you have to spend a lot more time thinking ahead mm -hmm. and planning ahead for an entire semester to make sure that everything that's done is done with some intention. I think that's a great way of putting it. One question that I wanted to ask you, you use a method that's called specifications grading in your courses. Can you tell us about this? I can try. It's a little <laughs> challenging to explain without visuals, and it's a little challenging to explain in a nutshell. But to just precede that a little bit, I want to say that I have been learning that grading is actually an activity that can be placed on a continuum from 
something that's highly managed to something that's almost not managed at all. And that doesn't mean that there isn't feedback going on or teaching going on. This is just about the grading behaviors um, and grading approach that you're taking in the class. Specifications grading uh, goes more towards the less managed side of grading, but it's certainly not all the way at the end. That's ungrading, and we are talking about that at the center as well. Specifications grading is when you decide as an instructor, again, this is front end and intentional, you decide which assignments are required for each letter grade that is assigned at the end of the semester to a student. So students see what's required of each letter grade right at the beginning of the semester, and you ask them to decide which grade they're going for. Now that can change. They're allowed to change their minds midway through the semester and aim higher or lower. Mm -hmm. But this way you know that they know what they're aiming for. Those bundles of assignments that go with each letter grade will vary the higher you go. So the higher you, the letter grade, the higher the quantity of assignments mm -hmm. that are required. And sometimes you may add some qualitatively more challenging assignments for higher letter grade as well. Mm -hmm. Each of those assignments comes with a set of specifications. That's where that word comes in. And it's a, a set of make or break criteria for that assignment. Students must meet all of the specifications in order for the assignment to count towards their letter grade. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then they are told this does not yet meet specifications. The beauty of this grading system and what my students have really resonated with is that they are permitted additional attempts to try again. And the way that's typically done with specs grading is to give tokens to students at the beginning of the semester. They can spend a token to try again on an assignment, or if they've missed an assignment deadline, they can get an extension. Those are typical ways that we use tokens in the class. Well, of course, I have so many questions, but I'm gonna ask, what about students who sort of from the beginning of this process just say, I wanna get a C? Is that, is that okay? Is that rigorous enough? How do you approach that? I love that question because I actually studied this method with an eighth grade teacher who did it in her eighth grade class. And we talk in our article we published about it, about the ethics of accepting a C. I think at the higher education level, we may wanna honor that. I very, very rarely see it. It's typically in my gen ed class where mm -hmm. they have other priorities that they're going to focus their time and energy on instead of in my class. I typically reach out and encourage them to do better, but I do try to honor their autonomy in that choice. It's fascinating. How, how long have you been using this process in your classes? I think it's been three or four years now that I've been trying it. I heard about yeah. it at the Conference for Higher Education Pedagogy up at Virginia Tech and um, was motivated to start trying to use it right away. Well, I love the involvement of students at the beginning in sort of weighing in on how they're gonna engage with the course. Yes, um, I think it's a little intimidating. I've learned to do a lot of front-end education and assurances for my students yeah. because they're a little bit, they're always a little bit trepidatious about this new grading system that most of them have never encountered before. 
but the vast majority at the end of the semester will give very positive feedback and, and a preference for this grading method over traditional grading methods. The only students that don't like it are those that wanted to coast by with substandard work and not mm -hmm. have to redo it for it to count. And yeah. that's a rare student, but they, I sometimes get comments about that. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Barton, I wanna to talk to you now about your new role in the Center for Teaching Excellence. You've worked with the center for many years now since you've been at ETSU. Please share with us the mission of the center and how it supports ETSU faculty. Our advisory committee is actually actively working on our mission right now, so it's a great question to be asking. And we are still in the process of refining our mission in a more formal statement, but it's centering around the idea that education needs to be equitable for everyone here on campus. Our students' learning is important and our students deserve to have good teaching. And as part of that, our educators here on campus, our instructors, deserve to have the tools they need mm -hmm. in order to, pr to provide that good education to, the, to our students. So there are a number of ways the center supports our faculty's learning about good teaching. We try to give them the knowledge and the tools and ongoing assistance and even encouragement to continue that teaching development trajectory. Teaching isn't finite. There's just mm -hmm. never an end point to it. And I think that's one of the challenges with being a faculty member is you don't have the article that's published at mm -hmm. the end to show you've done something worthwhile. You just have this ongoing set of activities that you do to try to get better and better. And sometimes, you try something and it's a step backwards and you have to go back to the drawing board. But we offer a lot of things to try to support our faculty, including workshops where we cover things from very uh, the kind of the basics of what's important for good teaching. They're, we call those the four essentials. And so those four essentials workshops are the best place to start if you haven't done anything with the center before. And we go all the way up to some cutting edge and innovative ideas that we like to share out with faculty who have been around the block a few times and are looking for something a little different and new to try out with their teaching. We offer consultations and that can be with our CTE staff, but we've also rolled out something I'm very excited about called TLCs or Teaching and Learning Consultations. We spent some time in the spring training peer consultants from across campus. These are other faculty members in how to do consultations with their peers across campus. So when a request comes in from a faculty member, we'll assign that person to a peer. And the goal is to, to not do an evaluation and not do something that's summative, but instead focus on something that the instructor wants a little bit of feedback on and make this a really supportive informative process where the consultant will have a look at what the instructor is currently doing maybe an in-class observation it may just be looking at course materials or syllabi and providing feedback on what things are going well and where there could be um, additional new things that the faculty member might want to try but it's meant to be an extremely supportive cooperative process. That sounds like such an effective way to, to bring in your peers 
to provide some some valuable feedback without it being threatening as you say i agree i think it's really important that our teaching is valued and supported Mm -hmm. and not critiqued all the time and so i think that's a really helpful approach I also like that we're pairing people from across campus because I think when we cross-pollinate, we get interesting takes and Mm -hmm. different ideas than if we just kind of stuck to our own disciplines. I I always heard that it's great to have someone from outside your discipline come into your class to make sure that they can understand from a student perspective what what you might be lecturing about. Yeah, I think that that is definitely part of what's helpful. And the other thing is they may be doing something in their classes Mm -hmm. instructionally that feels discipline specific, but actually could transfer over into this other faculty member's discipline. So I'll ask you one other question about the the work that you've done with the CTE. Can you tell us what do you think stands out most to you about ETSU faculty and the ways that they approach their teaching? I have seen from many of our faculty a real interest in trying to find ways to motivate their students, really want them, the desire for their students to care about their material is really prevalent among a lot of our faculty on campus. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real thirst for that. And I think a very very much a willingness to try new ideas Mm -hmm. and think of new ideas themselves for how they can tweak their activities to resonate with students and get them to understand the, the meaning, the purpose behind an activity, as well as to, be, to just genuinely get interested in the content of what they're learning. I love that. And it reflects for me, what I've seen is just a real deep commitment that faculty have to good teaching. Um, Yeah, I think we definitely have faculty on campus who are very deeply committed to good teaching. Well, the last question that I ask every guest, what impact do you hope your students will make on the world? I think it's important, and what I want most for my students is for them to go and show how important it is to do the right thing, even when the right thing is unpopular, or is effortful. And I think that can apply in a number of contexts. Certainly for me, what resonates is our social justice contexts, but also teaching contexts. So I want my pre-service educators who go out to be K-12 teachers to understand that good teaching means you're gonna spend more time doing it, Mm -hmm. and it's gonna require a lot more effort and thought but good learning happens when you spend that time and effort. And I think that's true, of course, with teaching in any context. Mm, that's really inspiring, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Barton. You have built an amazing legacy as an ETSU faculty member, and we're so fortunate to have you in your new role. I look forward to all that you will do as you support the faculty in the Center for Teaching Excellence. I hope you have a great fall semester. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Why I Teach. For more information on Dr. Barton or this podcast series, visit the ETSU Provost website at etsu.edu provost. You can follow me on Twitter at ETSU Provost. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to like and subscribe to Why I Teach wherever you listen to your podcasts.